This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the bail hearing today for the man accused in the stabbing of three people in Chinatown on Sunday. Blair Donnelly had a violent past and was considered a risk to the public. And tonight, more criticism of the decision to allow him out on a day pass. For more, let's bring in our Romina Dea, who's at the courthouse where that bail hearing took place today. Romina. Sophie, we can't get into the details of what exactly happened in court because of a publication ban. Now, generally, these types of bans at a bail hearing happen in order to protect the fair trial rights of the accused. Donnelly has been charged with three counts of aggravated assault in connection to the triple stabbing at a family event in Chinatown last Sunday. Three innocent people stabbed in a random attack, said Vancouver police. I feel upset. For this is very serious crime, why they let him go out? Outrage escalating. The victims and public still in the dark about who released Donnelly on a day pass from the forensic psychiatric hospital and why. It's been five days now. The hospital and BC Review Board still refusing to do an on-camera interview. What a sick system it is when... You have a group of people who can make decisions that have life-altering consequences, and, and they don't think they have to answer a damn question to anyone. And that's what has been set up. And so there needs to be public accountability. And if we don't finally actually see something happen, action be taken, people replaced, then it will happen again because it's just the system continuing to turn. In a report leaked to Global News Thursday, we learned just five months ago in April, the review board concluded Mr. Donnelly continues to meet the threshold of significant threat. The board's ruling that Donnelly remained detained at the hospital, but could have access to the community at the director's discretion. I think the premier has a responsibility to fire this review board. They clearly have lost all sense. They are clearly not in touch with reality. And they clearly have no qualms about rolling the dice and gambling with people's lives because that's what they've done. According to court records, Donnelly said God told him to kill his 16-year-old daughter in 2006. She was stabbed to death. He was found not criminally responsible. Three years later, he was released from the forensic hospital on a day pass. That's when he stabbed a former patient. Fast forward to 2017, when Donnelly attacked another patient with a butter knife. The report also highlighted concerns in relation to Donnelly's care while in transitional housing, including staffing shortages, insufficient training, high turnover, and emails being ignored by forensic hospital staff. So what happens next, Sophie and Chris? 
At the direction of the Premier, as you heard yesterday, he has appointed the former police chief of Abbotsford, Bob Rich, who's going to be conducting an independent review into how Donnelly was released, given the significant concerns that were raised regarding public safety. As far as Donnelly goes, he remains in custody. He's back in court September 27th. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that. Ramina Day reporting live tonight. Vancouver police are investigating a series of violent incidents they believe were committed by the same man last night. All of them happened over a period of 45 minutes. The first, around 6.30, on a bus near Broadway in Granville. Police say the suspect approached a woman and began yelling at her and then struck her leg with a chain. The second and third incidents happened near Vine and West Broadway when the suspect allegedly approached women in the area and yelled at them. Vancouver police say the suspect also threatened to hit another man if he didn't move out of the way. The suspect is also accused of threatening two other people with a concrete block. This is very concerning. Right now, it doesn't appear that the suspect and the victims know each other. Um, so obviously, right off the bat, that's very concerning. And obviously, there, might, there is some mental health issues here, as, as no one in their right mind would just go up to people and randomly attack them. So uh, there's a few concerning issues here. He has been taken to jail. He is in jail. And the investigation is ongoing. A man in his early 20s has been charged with uttering threats and assault with a weapon. A warning now about this next story. Some of the video might be disturbing to some viewers. A courtroom apology today from the young man who's pleaded guilty in the death of 14-year-old Carson Cremeni. But as Janet Brown reports, the victim's family doesn't believe it's sincere. I don't think anything can really ever make this better. You know, he's gone, right? Another emotional day in court. At the sentencing hearing for the accused in the death of 14-year-old Carson Cremeni. It's just been hard to go through. I mean, we're at the end now. Yes. Carson died after an overdose at the Walnut Grove Skate Park in Langley in August of 2019. <laughs> Court hearing he had consumed a massive amount of MDMA, a drug commonly known as ecstasy. He was with a group of older teens at the time, and his final moments were recorded and shared on social media. In court, the young man, who pleaded guilty earlier this year to manslaughter, stood and said, I need to apologize. I take full responsibility. I am deeply ashamed, and I'm haunted by his death. I wholeheartedly apologize to the Cremeni family, my family, and the community. But most of all, I apologize to Carson. I am sorry. Emotions were running high for a second day inside the courtroom. Both families, the Cremenis and the accused, still clearly very impacted by the tragic events of that day four years ago. I don't really forgive him. Um, I don't, not at this point. Um, I just feel like there's no excuse for what happened to my son. Do you accept his apology? Um, how can I? There's no way I can. I mean, what he did to my son was... Evil. The accused had been the victim of a brutal attack when he was 15, leaving him, according to his lawyer, with a brain injury that started his decline into drug use. By the age of 17, he was described as a sophisticated drug dealer. It won't change what happened to my son that day. Crown and defense both asking for three years of custody and a supervision order, with the defense asking for 12 to 18 months in jail, while the Crown wants two years. We're just hoping for something as close to justice as possible at this point. Sentencing is set for late October. Janet Brown, Global News. 
Well, both the suspect and the victims have now been identified in that double homicide in Chilliwack. As Krista Dow reports, local residents are struggling to understand how a dispute between neighbours appears to have ended with deadly violence. As the homicide team wraps up their investigation, we're now learning more about the two victims. They were nice people. Yeah, it's been tragic. I think everybody in the community is really quite sad. The couple identified as 58-year-old John Kavaloff and 67-year-old Valerie Smith. Their bodies were found inside their home Wednesday night in the Baker Trails Mobile Home Park in Chilliwack. The suspect, 83-year-old Robert Freeman, who lived next door, was charged with two counts of second-degree murder. It was pretty scary. One neighbor describes how police descended on the home and arrested Freeman. He was raising his hands up and, you know, lowering himself to the ground, and I could tell that he was clearly in trouble with the police. Residents tell us the couple and Freeman had had disagreements in the past and clashed often. I don't know what the incident was about, but I know that there has been problems with um, um, the dog as well as uh, motorcycle noise. They did not get along what at did all. They fight over? Dog. Yeah, always the dog. While the homicide team would only say this was an isolated incident between neighbors. We're totally shocked that that a neighborhood incident would uh, escalate to this kind of violence. The double shooting homicide now leaving this quiet Chilliwack neighborhood on edge. I think it's shocking. It left me very unsettled that something can happen this close to home, but I think it can happen anywhere. Oh my God, I'm not feeling any more safe, you know, just... I'm shocked. Freeman remains in custody and is scheduled to appear in court on September 25th. Krista Dow, Global News. A warning now. Our next report contains some details that probably won't be suitable for some of our younger viewers. A senior Vancouver police officer is under internal investigation for his role in what was supposed to be a joke, poking fun at those on the forensic identification unit. Catherine Urquhart has the exclusive details. Vancouver police have launched an internal investigation and a senior member is on administrative leave. It follows an incident in the organization's IDENT section. It's extremely disappointing every any time that we see a member of law enforcement, especially a leader of a very important unit, uh, displaying this kind of behavior in the workplace. The incident involves a poster made on company time. Sources tell Global News that in recent weeks, an on-duty sergeant requested photos from a number of his colleagues. Then he requested civilian staff create a poster and hung it on the wall, something that has prompted a number of complaints. We have blocked out photos on the poster, which reads, Ident, swabbing penises for more than 100 years. Vancouver police have issued an order to investigate, telling Global News, this is a serious matter and we took immediate action when it came to our attention. We have policies in place to ensure a safe and respectful workplace and are reviewing the matter internally. This is ultimately about public trust and that uh, public trust, particularly around investigations of sexualized violence. And so it's very important that they take action and that uh, that action uh, needs to be swift and, and to represent the seriousness of this kind of behavior in a workplace. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner has been notified about the poster and the investigation.
Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A frightening sight for residents of the North Shushwap with a flare-up of the Bush Creek East wildfire. BC Wildfire Service says crews are seeing increased fire behavior and a large amount of smoke. Skimmer aircraft are on the scene taking water from local lakes to hit the hotspots, while ground crews and heavy equipment have never stopped battling that fire. The Wildfire Service is warning this weekend could bring more strong winds to the area. Say this fire could burn until it's extinguished by significant rain or snow. Yeah, it's a good reminder we're not out of it yet. The BC Wildfire Service is warning about those winds. They're expected to increase fire activity in several other parts of the province too. And for that angle, we'll bring in our Christy Gordon with the latest. Christy. It wasn't just that area, that the Shushwap area, that saw increased activity today. Look at the winds ranging from 50 to 60 kilometers an hour from the Caribou Central Interior up in the BC Peace River area. And the impact seen from this satellite shot right across the province. These are a southwesterly wind. And today was really just day one that the BC Wildfire Service is concerned about. They're watching Saturday, which the winds will pick up once again and again on Sunday. In addition to this, through the weekend, we're expecting hot, dry weather, low relative humidity so the BC wildfire service certainly will have their work cut out for them when I come back though I'll show you which areas could see rainfall on Sunday night Chris back to you sounds good thanks Christy well, the Conservative Party of B.C. reached official party status this week with the defection of Abbotsford South MLA Bruce Banman from the B.C. United. Now questions whether the Conservatives could make even more gains and how that might affect the next provincial election. Let's bring in Keith Baldry live in Victoria. Uh, Keith, vote splitting between those two parties, the United and the Conservative, could potentially mean good news for the B.C. NDP. Yeah, BC political circles still buzzing over this dramatic decision by Bandman to leave BC United and join BC Conservatives. Uh, history of vote, certainly, vote splitting has certainly played a role in, for decades in BC politics. The center right always trying to put a lid on that. We caught up with uh, BC United leader Kevin Falcon on Focus BC today. Put it to him: Will he expect any other MLAs to make the same move from Bandman from his caucus? You're going to hear his answer and also his assessment of where he thinks BC Conservatives are at in reality. Basically, he doesn't think they're there at all no i i remain very confident there will be no others i don't spend a lot of time worrying about the bc conservatives the only thing they have going for them frankly is the fact that they have the same name as a federal party that's it there's very little organization there's it's the same small group of people that have always supported the bc conservatives uh and uh you know frankly they haven't got anywhere near the organizational half the horsepower and the great quality candidates that we have already announced and will be announcing as things go forward so again, not much time for Mr. Falcon towards BC Conservatives, but there are some things that are different. First of all, the BC Conservatives have official party status for the first time in 50 years. That brings with it financial resources they never had before, a higher media profile. They get to ask questions on a daily basis and question period. They haven't been able to do that for a half a century, and that could have an impact. Even a slight uptick in the Conservative vote could have a big impact on some writers. To point out what I mean, take a look at some of the stats here. First of all, in the 2020 election, it can be argued the NDP won four seats that never won before because of the uptick in the conservative vote at a time when the conservatives had low profile. An even slight increase in number of candidates in profile could put 17 BC United writings in play. They right now are covered by 10 very strong federal conservative writings where the conservatives win by 45, 50 percent of the vote. And that means the NDP could win seven, my estimation, about seven plus of those writings with a BC United, BC conservative votes. But it won't take much for the BC conservatives to take votes away from 
NBC United to allow the NDP to win in those ridings. And we've seen the center-right grapple with the center-right vote split before, notably in the 70s uh, and in the 1990s. It could happen again in 2024. So despite Mr. Falcon's comments about VC Conservatives, he has his work cut out for him to make sure that Conservative vote doesn't get too high. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it could be looking at an NDP cakewalk come the next vote. Well, it'll make for an, an interesting election night, as always, Keith. You Thank you. All right. Residents in Vancouver's Mount Pleasant have been dealing with bumpy roads and heaving ground for decades. Their neighborhood was built on boggy ground. And as Cassidy Moscone shows us, residents say the area is growing increasingly hazardous. Cassidy. Drive too fast down these streets and you might just take out the bottom of your car. We've seen a few close calls already. Dozens of cars, cyclists and pedestrians trying to navigate these bumpy roads. It's far from a relaxing drive. Cruising down the streets of Mount Pleasant can be more like a BMX track than a road. The roads... The sidewalks, people's front garden fences basically just uh, float and move and rupture and, and it's constantly moving. Conditions so wonky, it's even making homes lean over. It moves, it sits at about 11.30. You know, if you lose anything, you know which side of the house it's gone to, which is good. The problem is decades, even centuries old. First Nations, then early settlers gravitated to the area for its natural resources, building up on the marshy banks of Brewery Creek. Basically, Mount Pleasant is Vancouver's first suburb. Um, <clears throat> so people started settling in the area, and as populations grew, we needed more land. Settling on swamplands proving problematic. Right now, down our street, I mean, it's rupturing in the middle and it's cracking. There's a good three-inch gap in places. And this happens all over the place. Residents here know the problem will never be fully solved, but they want their streets better maintained. They say things like increasing signage or reducing speed limits is a place to start. The City of Vancouver told Global News it has an active service request for the area and engineering staff are preparing to complete repairs in the coming months. It's kind of a hazard in, in many places, the sidewalks, but you know, humankind is built over nature and this is the result, so you got to have to put up with it. The suburb today paying for the decisions of the past. If you want your local street repaired, one thing you can do is report it to the City of Vancouver. A spokesperson today told us it manages jobs not only on the severity of the damage, but also the number of service requests received. But with more than 1,400 kilometres of road and 770 kilometres of lanes to manage, there is no quick fix. Thanks, Cassidy. Unlocking the gates at Joffrey Lakes. The provincial park is being closed in a dispute with local First Nations, but now there's a compromise to keep it open. How soon you'll be able to hit the trails next on the News Hour. The climate protest that had a lot of people stuck in traffic today, that's coming up on the News Hour. Plus, the pace. Are you serious? Oh Remember this amazing winning putt from BC golfer Nick Taylor? How he did it again at a recent charity event. That's still to come tonight.
Right now, though, the popular Joffrey Lakes Provincial Park is reopening Tuesday after an agreement between local First Nations and the B.C. government. Two local First Nations abruptly closed public access in late August. As Julie Nolan reports, the agreement is an important step in the long journey of reconciliation. It's one of B.C.'s most Instagrammable and busiest parks, and over the years, it's easily become the victim of its own success. It was being a bit overrun. There were safety issues related to parking. On August 23rd, two First Nations north of Whistler abruptly announced they would be shutting down Joffrey Lakes Park, asserting their title and rights to the land. They felt we weren't moving fast enough, and uh, and they essentially announced they were implementing a unilateral closure. But then, through an agreement between the province and the Lilwad and Ikwakwa First Nations north of Whistler, public access will resume September 19th. I think the agreement we reached will advance reconciliation, not just for this year, but going forward. Overflowing with visitors, there were nearly 200,000 people to the area in 2019. While a day pass was put into place two years ago, the First Nations complained about a lack of respect from the public, not just parking, but the litter, leading to the park's closure in late August. One BC lawyer who specializes in Indigenous law is watching the latest developments, and even while considering UNDRIP, or the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, he cautions this new agreement doesn't necessarily set a precedent. Based on everything I've read in the case law, there's no basis for a First Nation to be able to close a park. I understand First Nation may take that position and, you know, that's fair enough, but the legal authority doesn't exist under the Park Act. As such, Robin Younger points back to the law rather than the politics surrounding these decisions. But the Environment Minister is committed to ongoing discussions with the two nations. Reconciliation is a journey. We're not going to get there tomorrow, but we're going to continue to take steps. With more plans yet to be made, those conversations will continue into next spring to find viable solutions for all. Julie Nolan, Global News. Just ahead, Vancouver votes to pack more people into single-family lots. It's basically a one-wheel tricycle with a flat tire. Housing experts point out the flaws that miss the mark in making more homes. And one year after the death of women's rights activist Masa Amini, a look at how much has changed in Iran. Good evening from Global One. We're high above the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Police have a car pulled over, uh, coming down the cut, slowing things down as you make your way to the bridge deck. Once you get to the bridge deck, you get a little more space and you're back to full speed. And by the time you hit the Cassier Tunnel, no problems to make your way into Burnaby Heights. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle provides expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and autoglass services. Choose the best. From Global One, high above the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge, I'm Brad Russell. Vancouver neighborhoods could be in for some drastic changes in the push to build the so-called missing middle. As Aaron MacArthur reports, City Council has just passed new zoning rules, which could see as many as eight homes built on a single-family lot. The makeup of Vancouver's housing supply set to undergo a radical transformation. Over the next decade, single-family homes replaced by multiplexes and townhomes to help create more homes in the so-called missing middle, four, six, even eight units will be allowed 
on a typical single-family lot. It's huge. If you are somebody uh, that is trying to, you're aging in place, uh, you would like to have your kids stay not just in the neighborhood but in the city, um, it can provide some huge opportunities. Thursday night, council voted unanimously to rezone the entire city, boiling down nine separate zoning districts into one single tract. City council offering up this gentle density as a way of boosting housing supply. Public support, mixed. It seems to me that Vancouver has an affordability issue, not a density issue, and that really needs to be looked at. Some parts of the city have already undergone gentle densification. This neighborhood has a lot of duplexes and fourplexes on what used to be single-family lots. Critics will say this missing middle piece from the city doesn't go far enough. Urban planners say it might actually create more smaller units for sale, but it might reduce the number of homes for rent. So really this adds in maybe an extra unit, maybe it adds in two extra units for the larger lots, but the kind of substantive change much in terms of zoning and planning and building around amenities is still missing. The city expects somewhere in the range of 150 applications per year for multiplex builds, but more changes are expected to help build more homes. We're speeding up the permitting process. We want to build a lot more on our transit, uh, transit hubs. There are a lot of big projects that are going on across the city. This is just one more piece of the puzzle. The provincial government will introduce legislation this fall to mandate similar conditions for residential homes across BC. These solutions to help ease the housing crisis will take years to materialize. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the next federal election is still more than two years away, but it's clear the campaign is already getting underway and housing affordability will be a hot-button issue. Sure is. As Richard Zussman reports, already this week, the governing Liberals and the Conservative opposition both rolled out new policies aimed at tackling the housing crisis. As federal political parties start building a plan to lure votes, they are hammering home the same point. Housing matters. Every community across Canada needs to build more homes faster. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau committing to a significant tax break, scrapping 100% of the GST on building multiple rental suites. This includes any project a builder starts before the end of 2030 and wraps up before the end of 2035. Making sure we're building the right solutions for Canadians right now is what Canadians expect. And although the industry would like to see builders being given more time to get projects done, this does help reduce building costs while also reducing what people pay in rent. When you add additional costs like taxes or other types of fees, those, those costs actually are downloaded onto rents. One of the outstanding challenges, while tax breaks incentivize building, it also requires far more workers than currently available. Supports for the construction industry to increase the number of apprenticeships they have, uh, really kind of build up these pathways into the housing sector via construction. BC already provides a PST exemption for those building rental suites, welcoming the federal government into providing this sort of assistance to builders and hoping it will mean more homes. 
we were advocating, uh, in fact, for years for the federal government to do that. We know with the high interest environment that it was becoming more and more challenging for a lot of purpose-built rentals to be built. The federal Conservatives promising to address the housing crisis as well. The main part of their plan tying federal funding to house building, requiring cities to increase the number of homes built by 15% a year. Those that build more than 15% in extra home building will get a building bonus. This will be based on a strict mathematical formula. Politicians hoping all these promises will add up to more votes. Richard Zuspin, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, the spirit of Masa Amini lives on. Remembering the young woman who died in morality police custody, sparking a global push for women's rights against the Iranian regime and hope for change. Also tonight, Nick Taylor stuns everyone by duplicating one of the most iconic moments in Canadian golf history. high above a police incident on the Portman Bridge. It's got one vehicle pulled over. Now it looks like that's a tow truck going to be loading this vehicle. It's got everything at a standstill though on the Trans-Canada eastbound all the way back to North Road. Today's Lotto Max jackpot, it is an estimated $10 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. In Global One, I'm Brad Russell. Well, tomorrow marks one year since a 22-year-old woman died in the custody of Iran's morality police. Masa Amini was arrested simply because she wasn't properly wearing her hijab. And as Negar Moshtehedi reports, Amini's death sparked a movement that lives on today. Civil disobedience in action. Many women across Iran refusing to wear the mandatory hijab. Defiant, no matter what. And then you see mostly the young people. They are not even bothered. Mehran Azami is Kurdish Iranian. She lives in Port Moody in exile. At the age of 19, I spent two years in jail just fighting for freedom. So freedom is in my blood. She's been demonstrating at weekly Saturday rallies in Vancouver, supporting Iranians fighting for freedom. Azami says the death of Masa Jina Amini changed the chorus of Iran's future, fueling the women, life, freedom movement. Amini was a 22-year-old Kurdish Iranian woman. She died while under police custody. Her crime allegedly showing a little bit of hair. I have my niece actually kind of shaved her head and then she just go out without any hijab. We first spoke to Azami one month after Amini's death. And at that same time, Tehran sent military tanks to crack down on protests in her hometown. Just watching it and witnessing it, oh my gosh, what's going to happen right now there? Is it like my, my niece is going to be shot? She still fears for her niece. Her car has been detained for the last two weeks because they, they're the ones that without any scarf, without hijab. Since nationwide protests first started on September 16th of 2022, the atrocities in Iran have been mounting. The UN says in 2022 alone, at least 582 people were executed, and at least 90 children have been killed in the uprisings. The killing and detention of children are deeply worrying. 
Since November, there have been at least 491 chemical attacks against thousands of Iranian schoolgirls, according to the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. On December 8, 2022, Iran carried out the first known execution over the protests. Four more protesters have been hanged since. Human rights activists like Azami believe Iran is having a moment of truth, strongly believing in time the ruling regime will fall. Like, without a doubt, it will happen. I've never thought I will see this day and this last year. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. An update on the E. coli outbreak in Calgary daycares that's led to 337 confirmed cases. Alberta's Premier is now offering financial support to the families impacted. We understand that this has put families under a lot of stress and a lot of financial stress. We want to help ease as much of that stress as we can, and that includes the financial strain this has caused due to parents being away from work and caring for their kids. To support all families and children affected by the outbreak in these child care facilities, families will receive a one-time compassionate payment of $2,000 per child. Our goal is to get the money to the parents as quickly as we can. Its remarks come one day after affected families sent an open letter to the Premier expressing their disappointment and asking why she hadn't spoken publicly until now. The cause of the outbreak is under investigation. Still to come, a climate protest snarls traffic. Hundreds march downtown. What they're demanding next. People around the world rallied today, demanding more action on climate change. Here in B.C., hundreds joined the global protest, united in their goal to put an end to fossil fuel dependence. Kylie Stanton reports. They flood the streets, raising their signs and collective voices. I have five grandkids and they need a future. Sending a message loud and clear. Our planet, our beautiful pale blue dot is cooking. From Vancouver to Victoria. Have a good march. Nanaimo and beyond. Climate activists are kicking off a wave of rallies, laser focused on one thing. We need to have a fast, fair and forever end to fossil fuels. More than 650 actions are planned in 60 different countries around the world, all culminating with a march in New York City this Sunday, what's set to coincide with the UN Climate Summit. In theory, in theory, all level of governments recognize this need for transformative change. Organizers expect this to be the largest international climate protest since before the pandemic, when the school strike movement led by Swedish activist Greta Thunberg saw millions of people worldwide join the protests. To take action. But since then, the effects of climate change have only become more apparent. From the heat dome and catastrophic flooding brought on by an atmospheric river, to the province's worst wildfire season, in history, what experts say may be the wake-up call that's needed. There's a tendency among Canadians to think it's uh, a problem somewhere else. But when you have a whole pile of one in 500 return period events in one year, you have to kind of say, uh-oh, something's up. And that something is climate change. 
Just last week, the United Nations warned countries are off track to curb warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius since pre-industrial times. In fact, the planet has warmed more than one degree since then. And so the fight continues. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, Christy Gordon here now with a look at our weather forecast. And Christy, big storm uh, in Atlantic Canada. That's right. Already the impact of it being felt, even though the eye of the hurricane will make landfall tomorrow. But we're talking about wind gusts up to 120 kilometers an hour, storm surge at six meters and potentially 100 millimeters of rain. The areas that will be impacted are Nova Scotia and New Brunswick mainly. Meanwhile, for our region, we've seen a massive increase in the amount of smoke. This is a difference from uh, this afternoon to just a couple of minutes ago in terms of that smoke being fanned by the winds that we're seeing right now. And we've got more of it on the way. So it'll ease off overnight and then it'll pick up again tomorrow afternoon. And what we're seeing is these fronts make their way onshore and they're not bringing much rain. They're just kicking up the winds, bringing up, uh, uh, bringing in a little bit of cloud cover. But otherwise, throughout the weekend, we are expecting the relative humidity to stay low and the temperatures to stay high. Now, Sunday into Monday, we may see some passing rainfall, but it's just that passing rainfall and that's about it so there's your forecast for your saturday everyone we do have some rainfall for the north coast region but that's it everywhere else hot and sunny and smoky now we're expecting highs to range up to 26 degrees for um, fraser valley region we are going to see another day of rainfall as we uh sorry another day of sunshine before the rainfall moves in potentially sunday night all right here's tonight's central windows weather window which comes to you from the battle bluff trail which is just west of uh Kamloops there. Beautiful shot. Thanks to Sylvia for that one. All right. Thanks, Christy. Great spot. All right, Squires here. Lightning can strike twice, as Nick Taylor has proven. <laughs> That's right. Nick Taylor is in town. Uh, he had a tournament yesterday out at Colta's Lake. Now, this was when he made the putt to win the Canadian Open this year in the playoff. Are you serious? 72 feet was the distance. So, at the tournament in Colta's Lake, to raise money for charity, they had a 72-foot putt. So this is Nick Taylor from 72 feet away with country music playing at the same time and he makes it again. That's his distance apparently. 72. So contacts that hit the putt a few times but it was uh, we had a friendly wager going all for charity and um, ended up making the putt to give a little more to, to, to the event. So that was fun. People loved it. Uh, like you said, a few drinks. People are a little more excited maybe than they normally would be but no, it was, it was fun to almost relive it a little bit with uh, with some people at home. So it wasn't take one. It, wasn't it was take not one. take one. I'll okay. admit that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a little different than what happened at the Canadian Open, but they did raise $275,000 for various charities. Fantastic. Well done, Nick. Thanks, Squire. Also ahead tonight, satellite debris. All right, Squire's here now with sports. Squire. Thank you very much. The BC Lions had their week off, and tomorrow they're back at home against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Game time is 4 o'clock at BC Place. And at the risk of somebody saying, hey, you're jinxing them, the BC Lions should beat Ottawa. If BC plays at full power, the Red Blacks will be covered in orange. Ottawa is last in the east. BC is second in the west. But now, despite what I just said, the Lions can't get too cocky about this one. The last time the Lions played a last place team, this happened. And the five touchdown number two for James Butler. The Thai Cats were double digit underdogs, but still came into BC Place and easily won a cat fight with the Lions. Now, with last place Ottawa visiting Saturday, 
the Lions have certainly learned their lesson. All these teams played people tough. I know that everyone doesn't have a great record, but you look at their games and who they played and how close all their games are. So everybody's got players in this league. They all can play. You just can't overlook any of these teams, man. Everybody's good. Everybody's got a good defense. The Lions had their flattest performance of the season against Hamilton, but coming off a bye week, they are refreshed and refocused, knowing that their destiny is in their own hands to finish atop the West Division. Our goal is, is, is to be the, the first place team, you know. It's fun to host a Western final game, I mean, uh, a playoff game, but we want to host a Western final as well. So I feel like we're right up there with Toronto, right up there with Winnipeg. You don't want to look too far ahead, but you do want to, you know, you want to host a playoff game. You want to get that first round by, you know what I'm saying? So, but we have to take care of us first. Well, it's now official. The Whitecaps no longer have Sergio Cordova. He has been transferred to a team in the Turkish League. Tomorrow, his old club, the Whitecaps, continue their seven-game road trip. They'll be in Toronto, just like the Lions. The Whitecaps are playing the worst team in the East. But TFC could be dangerous. Richie Larea, who used to play for Toronto, is wary of his old friends. They're home. Again, away games in this league aren't, um, aren't easy. And I think it doesn't matter what team you're playing against in this league. You have to be wary of them, especially... A team like Toronto that has obviously the profiles and the, um, the players that they have on their team, um, I don't think the roster reflects where they are in the standings. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be a tough game. It's They're coming off a good result, so they'll be looking to also push forward and close the season well. So we'll need to be not only wary of them, but after in Houston, after in Salt Lake, and then as well as in Colorado, you know, these are all going to be tough games. Today, new Canucks captain Quinn Hughes and Jim Rutherford went up to West Kelowna to visit the firefighters and present a check for $250,000 towards the Canadian Red Cross BC Wildfire Appeal. Quinn Hughes' grandfather was a fireman in New York City for 30 years. He said his grandfather is proud he and his brothers are in the NHL, but he does tell them it's not too late for any of them to become a fireman one day. There you go. That's awesome. Today is the day Quinn Hughes became the captain of the Vancouver Canucks. All right, Satellite Debris up next. Stay with us. All right, it's Friday, folks, so Satellite Debris time, Squire. Yeah, so let's go across the pond to Great Britain for a couple of commercials or adverts, if you like, from Travelodge. Let's go see Jack at uni. We can stay with him. <laughs> Better get a travel lodge. Travel lodge. Travel lodge. For great value, king size comfort. Better get a travel lodge. Jen, for your birthday, let's go glamping! Wait for me! Oh, better get a travel lodge. Travel lodge, travel lodge. For great value, king size comfort. Better get a travel lodge. 
Smarter choice. Yeah. Talking yeah. swans, talking stuffed giraffes. Always a fan favorite. Yeah. We, uh, we always seem to go with Geico. But here we go. Two more. Who makes car insurance easy? Enjoy your flight. You too. As easy as saying the wrong thing. Me too. Really? What? Dad, why would you say that? Why would you say that? Do I look like I'm going on vacation, sir? It's not how airports work, man. You you could? Dad. Are we leaving or? I don't even want to go on vacation anymore. I thought I knew you. She has hairspray that is over the limit. With an app that puts your policy in your pocket, it's easy to Geico. And you're not wearing socks. Get a grip, man. Geico makes car insurance easy. Say when. As easy as loving Parmesan. Say when. Say when. Say when. When. Oh. Fresh pepper? Oh, yes, please. With 24-7 emergency roadside service, it's easy to Geico. Going with the pepper. But then I feel like I should stop because it's unseemly. <laughs> I went on a Little League road trip with a with a bunch of boys oh, and yeah. it just never stopped. The cheese, the Parmesan just oh. never stopped. It's their whole meal. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's going to be a beautiful couple of days here. It is, but uh, we are certainly concerned about the smoke because of the winds in the interior regions. But yeah, absolutely across the south coast. Enjoy tomorrow nice and warm. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching. Good night, all.